Thank you for that truth. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your mercy and grace. And so today we bow before you. We pray that you have your way in our hearts today. Pour your spirit upon this place in a very powerful way that we might see Jesus. And so, Lord, do your work. We love you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, guys. Happy Palm Sunday. Good to have you here with us today. Hey, why don't you guys stand and say good morning and God bless you to somebody around you before we move forward. Okay. Well, today is not only a special day in that it's Palm Sunday. Obviously, there's a lot of things special about this day in that regard. But uh, we also have a baby dedication today, a child ed- uh, dedication, really. Yeah, not a baby, not anymore. So, uh, Anthony, would you know Elvira come on up with little Liana? Now, I remember praying for this little one right after she was born. She was having some issues, wasn't she? Yeah, I don't remember what they were. We don't have to talk about that, but look how beautiful she is this morning. <laughs> we, and when we do baby dedications, you know, um, as I've shared with you guys as we do these, you know, the, the dedication is more, I mean, yes, we're dedicating little Liana to the Lord, of course. We want to place her into his hands, that he'll care for her and watch over her. But these two people here are the ones that he uses to do all that, right? So it's more about them and their... Uh, public demonstration, confession, and seeking after the Lord that they are committing themselves to raise this child in the ways of the Lord, you know, and that's how he's going to bless her through them and their commitment to Jesus, you know. Uh, As parents, one of the best ways to to love their, their children is to first love God and love each other. You know, and I mean, that's, that's how this works, you know. And we, we've talked about this, you know, and, and, and all. But uh, well, we're just going to place her into the Lord's hands this morning as we dedicate her to the Lord. But we're also going to be uh, praying for Mama and Papa as, as they raise this little one in the things and in the ways of the Lord. So shall we pray? <laughs> Lord God, we just lift Liviana to you. We lift uh, uh, mom and papa to you as well, Lord. We just pray, Father, that you 
Be with Anthony and Elvira as they raise little Liana, Lord, in the ways of you. We pray, God, that their, their hearts would remain steadfast towards you in their worship of you and following after you as, as your children, as your followers, as your disciples, Lord Jesus. We pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon them and upon their family, their household. Little Liana, especially, as right now we just lift her before you. Lord, we dedicate her unto you, Lord, even, even as, as Hannah brought little Samuel, her baby boy, to be prayed for and, and dedicating her to your, or him into your service. Lord, we just give her to you as well. Lord, she belongs to you. Lord, we understand that you give us children just for uh, a, a short time, a relatively short time to raise in your ways, to, to raise in, in, in your word, to love on them through the love, with the love that you've given to us. And so, God, I just pray for, for Liliana. I pray for, for Mama and Papa. I pray for her siblings. I pray, Lord, that you just be with this family. We give her to you, asking, Lord, that you would do your work to, when she's older, Lord, 18, 20 years old, that uh, a, a young, on-fire believer in Jesus will be uh, released into the world to be used by you to do what you want to do through her. And so, Lord, bless her, keep her, watch over her, and God, we just give her to you. We give this family to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. And I've got this nice certificate all framed up. And when you receive that, now it's official. Now it's official. <laughs> God bless you guys. Anthony, God bless. How sweet, huh? <laughs> Anthony, why didn't you do that? <laughs> All right. Palm Sunday today, and you know, Dan didn't know this, but I'm teaching out of John 12 today. We're going to be starting in John 12, chap or John 12, verse 12, just like he read those two first two verses. So if you'll turn there. In terms of announcements, I just want to encourage you to uh, just be aware of the things that are going on. Um, and of course, next week being Easter, you know, we're going to have a special Easter message, of course. Uh, our brother uh, Richard Andrews is going to be here leading worship. We're going to have the kids singing a song. And also, it's going to be a fun day. It's going to be a, a, a wonderful day as we celebrate the life of Jesus Christ and his resurrection uh, from the dead. But today we're going to be celebrating and remembering, commemorating his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So if you'll stand with me. We're going to stand and read God's Word, and of course, we stand in honor of the Word of God, uh, even as Ezra the priest had the people of Israel stand as he read the Word to them. So we're going to read verses 12 to 19 here in John chapter 12, and then we'll get into the teaching together. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. 
Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And Father, even as we see that last sentence, as the Pharisees in their envy and jealousy say these words, Lord, it is our prayer that the world indeed would go after you. Lord Jesus, we pray that in this Easter season, Palm Sunday, Good Friday coming up, and then, of course, your resurrection, Lord, as we Look at these truths, these things that happened so many years ago and so far away from us today. Lord, might these things be near and dear to us, near to our hearts as if it happened yesterday, as it happened just down the street. It's real. Father, might we live our lives as though these things are real. Lord, have your way with us. Teach us by your Holy Spirit. Might he lead us into your truth. Might he bring to remembrance all things, Lord Jesus, that you said. And God, might he be our teacher today. Be glorified, be honored, be praised, be lifted up, we pray. In your holy and righteous name we ask it. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. The triumphal entry, that's what we're going to be looking at today here in John chapter 12. I, w I was uh, speaking with uh, Jamie, my daughter, just yesterday or Friday, I can't remember which day it was, but uh, just talking about the message and all, and you know, I mean, how many different ways can you talk about the same event? You know, over the years as we've been, this is, I guess this is my, let's see, Thirty-first message as a senior pastor here on Palm Sunday. You know we have we have this story in, in the gospel accounts, of course, uh, but the same thing happened. We can't change it. We can't change it. And and, and there's this temptation. And and you guys can always pray for uh, for me as your pastor, other pastors. You know when it comes to things like this, these kinds of messages, it's kind of, it's like you know you don't want to just kind of reiterate the same things all the time. But it's a good thing to be reminded of the same things all the time, isn't it? You know, and, and, and these are the things that took place, the things that we're going to be talking about. But there are a, a couple of things here that we're going to be looking at in, 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 in some detail uh, as we move through the passage. You know, um, and I, I was sharing with somebody earlier that, that you know, we've got uh, uh, this morning we have, uh, of course, uh, two or more here worshiping with us. We have baby dedication and a very long message. You guys, you guys have your notes, right? See, see all those verses down at the bottom? 
Okay, normally we have 12 or 15. There's like 40 of them in here right now. So it means a 50-minute to an hour message is going to be like two and a half to three hours. No, I'm just playing with you. <laughs> just playing with you. We'll get through. I, I probably won't go through all those messages, but I would say this. And one of the reasons that I give these to you so that you can review them. You know, you don't have to jot, jot down the scriptures that we're looking at. They're right here. And you can review them later. So what, what, what I don't look at this morning, just for the sake of time, you'll have to look at. And, and I could have put a lot more. I could have. But uh, this is what we have for us today. But the triumphal entry. You know, um, as we look at this, one of the things that we cannot forget, in fact, John writes uh, very, very clearly about the reality of the resurrection of Lazarus, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And, and this took place just a few weeks before Palm Sunday, before this day that Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem in triumph, riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey, as we're told here. But just, just a, a, a little bit, bit of background. In the 11th chapter of the book of John, we see the account of the event of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. A couple of things that I want to point out after Lazarus was raised. In John 11, verse 45, it says this, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. They, those who came to Mary, Lazarus's sister, to mourn with her, they saw what happened. They saw Jesus raise him from the dead. And when they saw it, they believed. Verse 53 of the same chapter. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Not those who believed, but the others who didn't. The Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews in particular, right? They, they plotted to put him to death. Then, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. Imagine that, guys. I mean, the, the entire area, it's not like Bethany was this booming city, but it's a city just a couple of mile, a miles outside of Jerusalem. You know, a, a city at this time probably had a population of somewhere between 80 to 100,000 people. Passover comes, and the population swells to somewhere around 3 million. You know, uh, and as we, as we see the reality of that, you know, uh, and then the things had it, that had taken place in Bethany, uh, the, uh, the leaders wanting to put Jesus to death. And then we see in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 12, just before we start our text today, uh, where we just read, in, beginning in, in verse 12, but in verse 10 and 11, but the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. I mean, my goodness, we can't have the Jewish people believing in the Messiah, right? I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a trippy thing what leadership can do in a person's mind and heart. 
You know, it's like they forgot that their whole role was to point people to God and to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. He came, and now they don't want people following him, believing that he is the Messiah. And they want to kill Jesus, the Messiah, which they would do later this week, right? Within five days from now, Jesus is going to be hanging on that cross. But they also want to destroy any evidence that he may indeed be the Messiah, that he may indeed be working in the power of God. Those who are, you know, those who have an agenda to, to uh, preserve something in their own lives, to, 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 to just rally around a certain point, a, 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 a certain uh, topic, uh, whatever it may be. And, and generally, it's for the preservation of self. And for these men, it was to keep their position in the way that it always had been. You know, and, um, you know, you got an agenda and, and you, you tend to ignore truth. You're not open to things that actually take place. Well, these things had done, had been done, and it really plays into this triumphal entry. And, and, and we'll get to this in a moment. We, but we do see that down in verse 18 that that because of what Jesus had done with Lazarus, many people had come out to see Jesus, and so that comprised a, a, a large part of this of these multitudes around laying the palm branches on the road and so forth, welcoming Jesus as their Messiah, as their king. And, and being king is a part of Jesus' Messiahship, just a part of it. Uh, so we, we, we just uh, want to move forward understanding these things. So as we see in verse 12, a, a great multitude that had come to the feast... They heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, and they took these branches, verse 12, or 13, of palm trees, went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, basically, which means save now. Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. They are acknowledging Jesus to be king. They're acknowledging him to be Messiah, the, he, a, a Savior as well. They're saying, save now, Hosanna. Now, the Lord was, as they came out, as they cried out, as they laid these branches uh, on the street before him, we see in verse 14, then he found a donkey and so forth. We'll look at that in just a moment. But Jesus is now doing something that he had never done in his whole life. In all of his ministry, with all the multitudes that were around him before in various, at various times, whether while he was teaching or, or healing or whatever, whatever it may, he may have been doing, he would never allow them to bring any sense of adulation to him, to praise him, to call him Messiah. He would say, keep this quiet, for my hour has not yet come, right? In John chapter 2, verse 4, uh, when... Uh, Jesus' mother, Mary, uh, came to him wanting to, to provide wine for the wedding that he was at there in Cana. Verse 4, we see Jesus saying to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And then in John chapter 7, verse 30, Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. 
But now his hour had come. John 12, 23, just a little bit further on in the same chapter that we're looking at this morning. Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And verse 27, my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. This hour, his time had now come. The very reason that he came to this world had come. That he would give his life a ransom for many. It was here. And so he received the praise, he received the adulation, he received the honor. And these people took these branches and laid them in the street. You know, there are a couple other places in the scriptures where we see uh, uh, palm branches being uh, somewhat significant during the Feast of Tabernacles. We see in Leviticus 23.40, uh, which says this, And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. So, so one sign uh, of the palm trees is, is joy, rejoicing, as we see there in Leviticus 23 at the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, and we see in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, these words. John writing, of course, after these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So a part of praise and worship, acknowledging that salvation had come. Here we see them crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. That actually is a quote from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, which says, Save now, I pray, Lord. Hosanna, I pray, Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. And so the Jewish people are, are, are basically repeating what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 118. And they understood. They understood the messianic implications. They understood that as they cry these words out, to Jesus, they are acknowledging that he is indeed Messiah, that he is the Christ. Very, very important aspect of all this. And so Jesus finds a donkey we see there in verse 14. To fulfill this passage in verse 15, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Luke gives some more detail to this than what John does. And in Luke 19, 29 to 35, it says, And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, he was on his way to Jerusalem now, but he, he sent two disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you'll find a colt tied and on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? 
Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he said. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And they begin to praise him as we see here in verse 15, which is basically a fulfillment of prophecy that, came, that comes through the prophet Zechariah. In chapter 9, verse 9 of Zechariah, we see these words, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Those words being written by the prophet Zechariah some 500 years or so before this happened. Now, we have no concept of what 500 years is. A lot of times when we're talking about the Bible, you know, I mean, for example, King David lived 1,000 years before Jesus 3,000 years ago. It's like, when we throw around those terms that many years, it's like, okay, you know, I mean, we think 100 years is a long time, don't we? You know, um, as you guys are aware, Pops passed away last year at the age of 92. We thought he was pretty old. 3,000 years is a long time. 1,000 years is a long time. 100 years is a long time. I've been married to my wife now for 51 years. That's a long time. That when we put it on a scale, you know, uh, of, you know, a, a time scale of eternity, eternity past to eternity future, it is, it's a very short time span. From God's perspective, it's very, very short. In fact, God operates outside of time altogether, but that's a different subject and not, no time to discuss it today. But the point being, 500 years... Many of the Messianic prophecies, 700 years, 1,000 years before Jesus was even born. That's amazing. That's an amazing, amazing thing. And, and, and we see as we read here that the uh, disciples really had no clue what this was all about. But we, we do see something here, even as the people are receiving Jesus, honoring him as Messiah, welcoming him to his city as king. I don't know how much they understood what they were doing either, but they did say, blessed be who is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. The king of Israel. Now just a few days later, in John chapter 18, verses 33 to 38, we see these verses. During Jesus' trial as he faces Pilate. Verse 33, then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? And that raises an important point that we don't have a lot of time to talk about. But, you know, the Lord is always concerned about our own hearts and our own thoughts, not just things that we hear. What's in your heart in regard to these things? Pilate answered, 
Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. This is one of those sad, sad moments in Scripture, I think, when we see Pilate, the one who is the embodiment of truth, Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. He is truth. And Pilate just turns away from him. What is truth? Walks away from truth. You know, as I said before, when you've got an agenda, truth really isn't what you're looking for. You're looking for fulfilling that agenda, pushing for the agenda, whatever it may be, whatever it may be. I just want to see this happen. Don't bother me about truth. Don't bother me about the facts. And that's the, way, that's the way it is with so many people in regard to who Jesus is. Don't bother me with the facts. And so many people will say that, that, well, how could he be the truth? How could he be God? He went and got himself crucified. He got, him ex got himself executed for the things that he did, claiming to be a king when obviously he wasn't. You know, those kinds of things, right? Going along with the crowd of the world, using the things that they say to justify their own position because, in fact, they really don't want to come to the truth because if you really face the truth, then you have to respond to truth. And that's something that many people just simply don't want to do. Pilate didn't. He was concerned about preserving his place of leadership. So Jesus is riding into Jerusalem as a triumphant king on this donkey, this, this colt, the foal of a donkey, as Zechariah wrote. Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, even Pilate's, of those in heaven, and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And guys, it does not matter what position we take today, what position we have in our own hearts in, in terms of who is Jesus, whatever we think it might be. Now, it's important what we think today because it determines our eternity. It determines where we will spend eternity. 
We can bow our knee to Jesus today as Lord and God, as Savior, as Messiah. He will save us from our sins. We will spend eternity with Him in heaven, in the new Jerusalem, through all eternity. We can reject Him today. We can say, I don't believe that's true. If we die with that mindset, we will spend eternity apart from Him in a place of suffering. It determines where we're going to be. But even those who will not acknowledge Him today will one day bow their knee to Him. Because we can't get around the fact that He is God, the Creator of the universe, the Son of the Father who was sent to save us from our sin. As John the Baptist introduced him, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why he came. And all this, this week that we're looking at here, that starts on this Sunday, this first day of the week, that's when that's going to happen. As on Friday, he's going to be nailed to that cross, bearing the sin of the world as the Lamb of God. And if we believe that, then indeed your sins are borne on him and, 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 and we will not be responsible for our sins as we come to the Father, as we, as we come to our, as we come before God after we die, after our bodies die. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. And by the way, Any person who rejects him today, when that person comes face to face with Jesus as judge, sees him in all of his glory, there's not going to be any argument. You'll know. You'll know. You'll know and understand that the judgment that you receive is right. There'll be no argument. No argument. We have some descriptions later in Revelation about what he may appear to be. No time for that today. But the point being, you know, I've got a thing or two to say to God when I meet him. Well, you might be thinking that now, but when you see him in all your glory, you are going to be blown away and you are going to understand and you're going to say, why didn't I believe? Why did I reject him? just had to try to live my life the way I wanted to, to be God in my own life rather than submitting to the one and true living God. Well, all this, all this is fulfillment of prophecy. Fulfillment of the covenant that God made with David as well as the messianic prophecies. King David, of course, I'm speaking of. In uh, 2 Samuel 7, 16, we see these words. God is speaking to David himself. And he said, Your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. We know that Jesus was in the, in the line, the bloodline of David. He's called the son of David for that very reason, Right? And he is going to be a king forever. He was acknowledged as king on this day, 
and he's going to be coming back soon. He's going to take his church from this world. There's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation upon the world, judgment upon the world. Then he's going to come to conquer and reign for a thousand years. That's what's going to happen as king, as Messiah king, as Savior king. He's going to rule, and he's going to rule forever. A thousand years in this world, then the world is going to be, be made new, a new heaven, a new earth, and in that new heaven, new earth, then he'll reign forever. So there's going to be a, a, a descendant of David upon the throne forever. That's what this is talking about, acknowledged here by the people on Palm Sunday. Isaiah spoke of this, Isaiah 9-7, of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary to announce to her what was going to happen to her as she was going to be the, the, the mother to bear the Son of God as he becomes a human being. He said in Luke 1.33 to her, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of, the, of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Not of this world. We call this event the triumphal entry, of course, as we've already noted. But you know what? Um, No Roman would have thought anything triumphant about this, about, about a man riding into his city on the foal of a donkey. Not a lot of majesty in that. Uh, not, not a lot of power and might displayed by that. Now, it just simply speaks of the, of, of, of the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And, and the way that we function, the way that we operate. Jesus had told Pilate, of course, and, and, and we, we, we see this, I mean, and later this week we saw this, but Jesus told Pilate that you know, if my kingdom were of this world, my, my, uh, my people would be fighting. But we don't do that, things that, that way in my kingdom. It's different. And one thing, that's one thing that we have to understand, that the way that things happen in this world and the way that we respond in, in, in a worldly sense, according to our own worldly, physical nature, sinful nature, is different than the way that we respond as Christians. And being of God's kingdom, that supersedes being a part of this kingdom. Because our, our, we are citizens of heaven, aren't we? We who have given our faith, or given our hearts to Jesus and believed in him. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, Paul writing says this, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Always leads us in triumph in Christ. 
if that's true, why have, so, why have there been so many martyrs for Jesus if we're always led in triumph? Well, we've got to go back to the truth that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It's a different kingdom. It's spiritual truths that we are interested in. And he leads us in triumph in that even as the world comes against us, by this point in time, you know, we, 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 we see what the world has done to him already. The world is plotting against him, wants to kill him, wants to kill Lazarus, wants to destroy any evidence that he might be God. And that's been going on for 2,000 years now and will be going on until he returns. That's just the nature of the spiritual warfare that we're involved in, right? This is the nature of it. But he always leads us in triumph. He leads you and me in triumph. In, in, in this regard, anything that the world may throw at us to dissuade us, to move us, to, to somehow... Uh, deny, perhaps deny our faith in Christ. And that's why with, with the stories of the martyrs and, and you know, s somebody might be standing there being, being roasted to death on a, on a fire, tied to a, to a pole and so forth, and, and singing praise songs or praying to his or her father in heaven and, and these kinds of things. See, that's the triumph. The faith is not destroyed. You yourself as a person, your soul, your spirit, not destroyed. Your body may be suffering. Your, your body may stop working. Your body may be burned at the stake. Your body may be stopping for whatever reason. But we triumph in Christ in that we maintain our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ. We understand who he is, that, that living in this world is just simply temporary. We've got better things ahead of us. See, that's the triumph in Christ. Signified, of course, a week after Palm Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead. He conquers death. You guys believe that? Let's live like we do. Let's live our lives like we do. It can be difficult to define victory from God's perspective. Spiritual victory is what he speaks of. Certainly not a material, not a physical one. Some would call Jesus' triumphal entry a death march. But you know what? The triumph would come at his resurrection. But at the same time, a great triumph is won at the crucifixion as well. Because he died for our sins. He died with our sins placed upon him as the Lamb of God. And so, meeting the requirement of God that our sins would be taken away, removed from us, so we can be in holiness and in righteousness, wearing the robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to us to uh, be able to enter into his presence. John tells us in verse 16 
that his disciples did not understand what was going on. His disciples didn't understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. And then verse 17, Therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. And for this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. So this crowd built to welcome Jesus, to meet him, because word had spread greatly. And remember, the, the city had, had, had swollen from about 100,000 people to 3 million people, and a number of them, how many were there? We don't know. All we know is that it was a great multitude. That's what the scripture says, a great multitude. Because Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. They wanted to see this miracle worker. And he was welcomed into the city this way. But the disciples didn't understand what was going on. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered. Now, now, now what, what's the deal with being glorified? What does that mean to, for Jesus to be glorified? What is the significance of that word? Why, when he was glorified, only did they understand and not before? Well, part of that is because the Holy Spirit didn't come until he was glorified as well, to give them the understanding. That's a part of it. But, but ju just the idea of being glorified. The Holy Spirit brought things to their remembrance after Jesus was glorified because it was after Jesus was glorified that he poured out the Holy Spirit upon them, that they would receive the Holy Spirit. But the word glorify, it comes from a Greek word doxazo, D-O-X-A-Z-O, doxazo. And it means from Vine's dictionary of New Testament words, it means to magnify, extol, praise, especially of glorifying. God, that is. Ascribing honor to him, acknowledging him as to his being, attributes, and acts. It's acknowledging him for who he is. And Vine continues, and he writes, So far as it is Christ through whom this is made manifest, he is said to glorify the Father, or the Father is glorified in, in him. Let's stop there for a moment. The verses that, are, that he quotes are John 17, 4, which says, Jesus saying, I have glorified you as he's praying to the Father on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. There's a connection between doing the work that God had given to him and glorifying him. There's a connection between obeying God and his glory and God's glory. And John 13, 31, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. God is glorified in him. And back to what Vines was saying. And he continues and says, and Christ's meaning is analogous when he says to his disciples, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. That's John 15, 8. Bearing the fruit of God is glorifying him. 
living our lives in such a way that the fruit of the Spirit is seen in our lives. When the fruit of the Spirit is active, love, joy, peace, patience, long, uh, um, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, these things, when, when, when that is shown in our lives, as, as God enables us to live that way, as He fills us with His Spirit, and we allow the Spirit, through our obedience to God, our obedience to the Word, allow God by His Spirit to strengthen and make this happen, He gives us the strength to do it. When that happens, God is glorified. God is glorified when that takes place. In Matthew 15, 31, we see these words. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel because God was doing what God does. He makes whole. And we see God being God, He's glorified. When we understand who He truly is, He's glorified. When we make him anything less than what the scriptures speak, that's blasphemy. But when we see him as he's described through the things that he does, through the things that he claims in terms of who he is, he's glorified. Back in Exodus, Moses asked that God would show him his glory in Exodus 33. Please show me your glory, he said in verse 18. And then the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Then in chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, we see these words, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. So remember, God said, I'll proclaim the name of the Lord. Show me your glory. I'll proclaim my name. I'll proclaim the name of the Lord, is what, what God said. And then he passes for, by him and proclaims, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now we could spend a week just talking about what all that means. I mean a whole week, like seven days. But we obviously don't have time to do that. But the point is, God declared his name by describing himself. Right? Describing his nature, his attributes. And so when those attributes are seen from him, again, he is glorified. Romans 1.4 tells us, as Paul writes, that that. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus is declared to be God, the very Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, through the resurrection of the dead, that power of raising the dead. I mean, guys, we, we've got to see the... the I mean, you know, we can talk about these things so much, having never actually witnessed anything like it, and it, and it, and it still doesn't really sink in, really, you know? Have you ever been in a place where somebody was actually raised from the dead? No? No? 
Are you convinced that God can do that? Yeah? Really? Are you really convinced? Then we really ought to be living our lives like we do, right? And do you believe that he gives you his resurrection power to live that kind of life? Yeah? Oh, that one didn't, hmm. <laughs> that we've got to believe too. He gives me his Holy Spirit. Right here it said in Romans 1.4, according to the spirit of holiness, spirit of holiness, so that we can live a holy life set apart from the lives we see in this world, set apart from the life that we used to live before we came to Christ. He enables us. First Corinthians 10.31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, to do all to the glory of God. Everything we do is to be done pointing to him and who he is, living our lives accordingly so that he does receive glory. They didn't understand these things until after he was glorified. And then they remembered. John 14, 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is speaking, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. So this triumphal entry, a celebration of praise. Psalm 96, 11 and 12. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful in all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. Nature itself will rejoice. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, as the Pharisees wanted, uh, re rebuked him because the crowd was praising him, he, they said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples in Luke 19, as I said. And he answered them, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. He wasn't talking about Mick Jagger and his friends. <laughs> the stones would cry out. There, 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 there would have been a rock concert. Let that sink in a minute. <laughs> Crying out praise to God, nature itself. Why don't we? Because we have a mind of our own. Yet we are the, the pinnacle of his creation. In Luke 19, we see Jesus' compassion in this triumphal entry. Luke 19, 41 to 44. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day. Now, it was a triumphal entry of Christ, but it was their day, their day that the Messiah would come to visit them. But they didn't see it. The things that make for your peace you had known the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment 
around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. If Jerusalem had received their Messiah at this time, A.D. 70 never would have happened when Titus of Rome came and destroyed the city. destruction of the world is going to be taking place after Jesus removes his church from it. There's going to be a week of tribulation. I mentioned this earlier. And it's happening. It will happen simply because of the rejection of the Messiah. The rejection of God. You know, we reject God and bad things happen. But they're not immediate because in rejecting God, we're generally seeking something that brings like an immediate gratification so it doesn't feel like we're suffering. Until the fulfillment of the immediate gratification bears its consequences, which can be years later. Like drug use, for example. They did not understand and so they rejected the one who would give them peace, the one who is peace. He is our peace. Jesus had said, love, uh, uh, but I say to you who hear Luke 6, 27, 28, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. That's exactly what he was doing. You know, and... Jesus' actions lend a great deal of weight to the things that he said. The prominent place of Lazarus in all this, we've already talked about that. Um, we, can't, we can't say it enough, we really can't. But because of that, it just brought more and more anger and bitterness out of envy and, and, and jealousy among, among the Jewish leaders. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill Lazarus. Then here's all these people who are hearing about this incredible miracle. They want to see Jesus for himself. They want to see what he would do. In fact, the following verses, which we're not going to be getting to, speak about some Greeks who came looking for Jesus. They said, we want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Do you want to see him? Do you want to see him? Who is this one that we want to see? In Matthew 21, when he had come to Jerusalem, the city was moved, saying, Who is this? That's what Matthew writes. The people were saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, It is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Well, they were partly right. But this is God manifest in the flesh. In Mark 4.41, when, when Jesus calmed the storm on the, uh, on the sea, the, the, the disciples said, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? In Luke chapter 2, verse 11, the angel declared him to be a Savior who is Christ the Lord as Mary receives the announcement of Jesus. I already quoted John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who Jesus is. Multitudes called him a prophet. 
Peter confessed him to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, in Matthew 16, 16. In John chapter 6, Peter asked Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's who he is. Jesus himself, in his I am statements, he said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. We must be connected to him to have life and to bear fruit in our lives. Is he worshipped in your heart today? This one who is all these things. Does he have preeminence in your life? Does he occupy the throne of your heart, the throne of your will? Does he have that place? I pray that he does. He's worthy of it. He deserves it, doesn't he? He is king. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is God. Worship him. And Father, I pray. I pray, God, that you would have your way in our hearts. Lord, I, I, I know that the majority of people in this room today know you. I pray, Lord, that these words are encouragement to know you more, to seek you more fully, to know you better, to follow you more closely, to live lives in which you will be glorified in seeking the help of your Holy Spirit, whom you've given to us to do so, to help us. God, I pray that you'd have your way. Do your work. There also are people here in this room who have not yet confessed Jesus as Lord, have not given their hearts to him. I pray, God, that you do a work in their hearts. As they have seen the, the, these, these things, they've heard the scriptures, they've heard your word, they understand what Palm Sunday is all about. They understand what Easter is all about, Good Friday. They, they understand that. And yet have not really owned it in their own hearts. Oh, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Even as we cry out, Hosanna, save now. Would you save now, Lord God? As our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed right now, if you're here today, perhaps you're visiting for the first time. Perhaps you've been here for a little while. You've not yet bowed your knee to Jesus. I would encourage you to bow your knee now and not wait until you face him at the day of judgment because you will bow to him because as I said, we can't get around the fact that he's God and he's judge. But he's a good God. As Renata was sharing earlier, he's a God of grace and a God of mercy. He wants to give life to you. It's up to you to receive it. Would you receive that life today? As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I would just ask you, raise your hand. If the Lord has spoken to your heart through his word today and you want to respond God bless you. I see one hand. I see another hand. God bless you. Anyone else? You want to 
give your life to Jesus because you are acknowledging that he is God. That he died on the cross for your sins. And you want your sins removed so that you can spend eternity in heaven with him. Anyone else? Father, thank you for these couple, Lord, who have raised their hands. You know what's in their heart. You know, Lord, what's going on with their lives. God, we thank you. Thank you that you've spoken them through them this day. And now, God, we pray that you'd have your way with them as they desire to commit their lives to you. I pray, God, that people around them will come around to help them. God, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together, guys. Amen. Uh, those of you who raised your hand, um, I'm going to be just right outside the door just greeting people as, as you all leave. Uh, I, I'd like to get a few words with you, and we want to be doing some follow-up with you and so forth, so um, make sure that you see me afterward. Just hang around uh, after everybody has left. Um, two or more, come on up. The final song. Thank you guys for being here to lead us in worship today. A blessing to have you guys with us. It's always a blessing to have you with us. They're going to close out the service with a song and then dismiss you. I encourage you guys to hang out and, and, and be blessed. Again, those who raised your hand, I'd like to get a word with you afterward as I'm standing outside. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time we're together. And uh, we'll see you next Easter for sure. Amen? God bless. <laughs>